Thank you all for celebrating my 100th podcast episode. And I'm honored for my 100th episode to be joined by John Brooks from HighExistence.com, a massively popular blog that you guys need to go check out. And John's going to talk to us a bit about his journey in self-development, his journey in becoming a father, his previous history with social anxiety and confidence issues, and how he used deep persistence and curiosity to create a very meaningful, purposeful, and passionate life. So without further ado, here's John. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity with Dan Munro. How you been, bro? I'm doing pretty good, yeah. It's been a chaotic couple of months because I've got a baby. Uh, he's almost six months old. And his mother has been, um, she's okay now, but she had some like health issues. So it's like life, the life situation has been a bit chaotic, but, um, yeah. I've been coping really well, you know, um, just focusing everything down to the priorities, the things I like must do every day and, uh, letting go of everything else, you know, that kind of approach day by day approach. <laughs> My my town that I live in is like a nursery. Like everyone just has kids all the time. You know, there's new kids, and yeah, the people who survive are the ones who cut down to like the most necessary tasks and like nothing else. You know, <laughs> yeah. the ones who try to do everything just fall to pieces. From my observations, anyway. The es- es- essentialism. Mm. Yeah, just getting really focused on the most essential things. Tough to do, bro. Very tough. Yeah, it is. I, I I think that 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 is actually one of the. Uh, there, there's a philosopher called La Rochefoucauld, and he mm-hmm. said uh, he's a French philosopher. He wrote a book um, of uh, a short book of maxims uh, a couple of hundred years ago, and he said something like like true intelligence or wisdom is knowing the real value of things, um, and I think that that's pretty wise. You know, like. Because, you know, like you can have a high IQ, but if you're focusing all of that intelligence on the wrong stuff, then, I mean, you're not being wise at all, right? And so knowing um, what to value and what not to value. Yeah, I think that's one of those things people would hear and they'll think, yeah, I'm doing that. And they're really not doing that. You know, yeah. you know the easiest way, <laughs> so if I bring up philosophy, like I'm part of some stoicism groups on the internet. Yeah. The amount of effort some people put into like shit posting and commenting and whinging. And like, you're on a philosophy page wasting your time. Like, that seems like some sort of paradox to me. Um, I notice I'm like wasting my time reading it. I'm like, oh my (laughs) God, I'm really sucked into this universe. I mean, if you take, if you just stack up the minutes of pointless shit that people do each day, you know, it's hours a week, it's days it's months <laughs> and then they're like, oh, I don't have enough time to do shit. It's like, it's true because you choose to expend it on very unimportant stuff. One of the things that I've just started doing is um, I, fi- I find that sometimes when it gets late and I start feeling tired and there are some things I need to do on my to-do list, I can quite easily go, you know what? I'm pretty tired. I'll just do it tomorrow. I'll wake up, you know, I'll wake up early. I won't, you know, but I'll wake up early. I'll wake up 5am, you know, I'll wake up 6am and do it. And then, but at the same time, if someone said, oh, I know you're tired, but the new episode of Game of Thrones is out. Do you want to go in bed and watch it? It's like an hour and a half long. 
I'd be like, yeah, I could probably manage that. Right. It's like that, that weird thing. So I started to think of, um, the tasks that I, that I need to do, but don't necessarily want to do. I'm trying to, at the moment, reframe them as like episodes of Game of Thrones, you know, like, um, like as a question I ask myself, actually, like if I'm tired, I'm like, are you actually tired? Like, or could you watch an episode of your favorite TV show or mm. play a video game for an hour? And if the answer is yes, then try and cultivate that kind of motivation for the task at hand, you know, so it's like a little reframe that I'm using. I find it quite useful. Yeah, I like that, man. That's really good. Like the I'm tired story. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I'm reading right before bed and I can't keep my eyes open. Like that's tired. But like the, when I usually start saying I'm tired, I've got a long way to go before that moment, you know, it's a, yeah. but it's a convincing enough story to be like, all right, no more of the important stuff, you know, no more challenge. And sometimes <laughs> it's probably accurate, but I think, yeah, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to, I'll, I'll be keeping in touch with you as, as fatherhood continues because you know that's in my near future i'm sure and mm. i've got some theories like there's a lot of people tell me like oh you'll never be able to manage it everyone says that they'll you know keep taking care of themselves and stuff and they never can mm. all the people who are saying that to me i don't rely on as like good role models for like self-management yeah being to see people like yourself see how you handle it especially once the kid gets active and mm. Interesting. Well, they say like one of the hard, I mean, all like parents will say like all ages have their own difficulties for, for a child, but the, the first six months is particularly difficult because the child is completely dependent on you in every way. Can't really move, can't support their own head weight. Um, the cot death, you know, like sudden infant death syndrome is the highest in the first six months. So it's like, it's quite a dangerous, difficult time. They can't really communicate with you. Um, they don't really smile for a few months. So it's, it's a, it's a tricky time. But for me, um, the way I, the way I've approached it is I, I want to be the best father I can be. And I know that in order for me to be the best father I can be, I need to not only just take care, taking care of, of my child is not enough. I need to set an example. Mm. You know, that's, that's the other side. And how do I set an example? Eat well, you know, uh, wake up on time, do my work, um, you know, have boundaries, uh, stay active, stay fit. Um, just so taking care of myself. So actually having a, a baby has actually motivated me to take care of myself more than before the baby, because I, 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 I don't want to be a dad who's, you know, um, who's really good at like feeding and, and taking care of my, my son, but has gone morbidly obese lazy fallen behind at work because that's not not actually a good dad right like that's not showing your child like you know how how you should act in the world so that's my approach i i did a post on facebook and this is one of the rare times where i'll give an opinion or advice without my own experience without at least some anecdotal evidence and this i see it exactly what you just said which is you know, really taking care of your child means role modeling. Show them how to live. Don't do, don't just do it for them. And right from the beginning, take care of yourself, and they'll model that. If you don't take care of yourself, it doesn't matter what you teach them; they're going to model you. You know, I always remember my my parents saying, "Don't smoke," but they smoked. What happened? I ended up smoking. You know, mm. like 
their, their words meant nothing. I was watching their behavior. And you're one of the few people who have like echoed my statement. But I've always, when I put this up, I'm like, can I really say this? Because I'm not a parent. I really, I don't know the real life in the moment. I'm just sure I would be like that. Um, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be staying in touch with you around that for sure. Because a guy like yourself and our line of work, uh, I think you're the first one I'm close to, to, yeah, to be dealing with the, the, the newborn and, and trying to actually maintain all the stuff we live by. Yeah. You've got this little creature that needs you all the time. I, I'm looking forward to having that example. I'm like, see, it can be done, motherfuckers. You know, like, it can be done. The other thing, having a child that, that's been really um, useful, actually, is, you know, people say, I don't have enough time to do stuff. You know, that's like a classic complaint. I don't have enough time to do this, kind of like to go to the gym, to meditate, to do this project, to write this book. Well, you, you, when you have a, a baby, you know what it's like to not have enough time, like for real. Like, mm. really, you, you don't have enough time to do a lot of things. So that when you do have like a few hours spare, you're like hyper efficient and you focus on the things that, that matter. Um, so since having my baby, I very rarely like, you know, watch Netflix or waste time. Like when I have some, uh, some time to myself, I'm thinking, what project can I work on? Mm. Like I need to, I want to get stuff done. I'm, I'm like really like, I appreciate the time that I got to myself but I, I want to spend it being productive, doing the things I want to do. Um, you know, like uh, I'll, if my parents can help out, I'll say like, can you help out? I want to go to the gym. You know, like that's kind of my approach. Not, can you help out so I can just binge watch TV? Cause that's like, the worst. I mean, if you're really tired and you want to reward yourself for hard work, fine. You know, I'm not against, against that, but um, you, you do find that you become actually hyper efficient with the, with the time you have. And maybe your net productivity will go higher even though you have less time to work so yeah i'm excited for you i'll definitely keep up to date with you on how things go excellent yeah i uh couldn't agree more it's uh, i noticed this even that um when i was a manager all these people i i managed i've been like handed this team and they're all doing way too many hours you know they're paid for eight hours a day and they're doing like 12 mm. and i said i'm gonna cut off your computer access after eight hours and all of a sudden they can get all their work done in eight hours, you know, <laughs> it, it made them more productive, not the same, but more. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, you guys were just thrown away. Like how, like days per week, just thrown away, you know? And I love that you're kind of forced to be super efficient. And then you realize actually I probably could have always done this, but now you've got that extrinsic motivator as well which is excellent. But let's, uh, let's, let's sort of restart. If anybody's listening, who doesn't actually know you. Um, let's do the classic intro and let us know a bit about, let's start with where you're at now, you know, who you are, what are you doing now? And then we'll have a look at your backstory a bit more. So right now I'm 29 years old. Um, and I am the creative director of highexistence.com. So for those listening, high existence is, is many things. Uh, it's on one level, it's, it's a website, it's a blog where we share articles and videos and podcasts on philosophy, spirituality, self-improvement, global issues. 
um, and health. But high existence is being primarily about the community, like that. That is being a community first kind of um, uh, site. It's not. We don't just put out articles. We we have a very active community of people, um, and one of our taglines is challenging the way you live. So we like to think of ourselves as a self-improvement website with an alternative spin. So we like to go back to ancient philosophers, Stoicism, which you mentioned, um, Eastern philosophy. Um, but we also love science. Um, and we're trying to like show people that, you know, here's how you can flourish. But the way I've explained it to people in the past is a lot of self-improvement teaches you how to be positive you know, that the, uh, I know I'm kind of stereotyping, but like a certain large niche of self-improvement says, this is how you become more positive. At high existence, we have some elements of that, but also we want to teach people how you can suffer successfully, you know, like how you can embrace uncertainty and chaos and disappointment and breakups and loneliness and how we're all in this together. So it's much more of like a heart-centered um, community that we have. I, I run the podcast, the high existence. We've also just started doing, um, retreats where we work with plant medicine. Um, we've done, uh, three retreats so far, um, two in Costa Rica, one in the Netherlands, and we have another one coming up in about a month. So that would be the fourth one. And what I do at high existence is I, I write, uh, that's how I, I got into high existence. I, I write, um, but I, I, one of my biggest contributions is that I, I have a love for creating tools, courses, and products that can sort of like gamify spirituality and self-improvement and make it easy for people to become better versions of themselves. Um, so that's what I, what I focus on at the moment. And I think that's, that kind of focuses why you and I initially connected so easily and so well that's i mean that's of everything you said that's what stands out to me the most like how to how to suffer well mm. you know um you and i have both spoken about before about sort of the nice guy histories that we have both indulged in and you know nice guy syndrome is all about trying to get away from suffering and all that does is cause endless suffering you know, you can't even get relief. And it's not the good kind of suffering either. It's not the suffering that grows you. It's just the suffering of being like slowly lowered into a bath full of acid type suffering, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, which of course is going to immediately provoke me to, to think about your history. So you're a writer, you, you've got on board with, was high, was high existence in existence before you or did, were you part of the creative team for that? No, so High Existence was started around 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. almost exactly 10 years ago, by a, a guy called Jordan Lejuan. Jordan Lejuan, at the time, was he's from California, and he was in business school, and he became disenchanted with, with, his, with his course. So he decided to create a blog. You know, 10 years ago, create a blog where he would share some of his favorite ideas and thoughts. And then he quit business school and just wanted to write articles on his blog and share what he learned. Very quickly, um, he was one of the first people to talk about this, the sort of psychedelics as a, as a self-improvement tool. And that was 
10 years ago, he was one of the first people to be like, I, I'm entrepreneurial. I love self-improvement and I experiment with psychedelics. You know, they don't have to be this, this really taboo, scary, weird thing. If, mm-hmm. if you with, you know, um, with strong guidelines and, and respect. Um, so he started the blog, uh, high existence. It started to gain popularity. A community started to grow around it. And round about the same time, a few years after Jordan started this blog, there was a, a guy called Martijn Schoep, who was a professional poker player from Amsterdam. And Martijn was very good at poker. He entered the World Series for, for poker and came ninth, I believe. But what he found is the more he played poker, the more depressed he came. He became. Uh, because poker trained him to, to adopt the mindset of a parasite. Mm. He said, so even though he was making a lot of money and, you know, living a a good life, you know, he was having massages every day, throwing money away, five-star hotels, winning big. Uh, He was training his mind to find weaknesses in other people and exploit them for money. That was his full-time job, hours and hours and hours a day of that. And I mean, that's like, that's... Too much of that, it doesn't matter how much money you've got, you start to enter quite a dark place and your mm-hmm. sense of reality becomes warped. And he he remembers that entering the World Series for poker, uh, coming ninth, winning about 60,000 and being extremely depressed because he didn't win one million. So he quit poker and went on a Buddhist retreat for five weeks um, because he was so depressed. And then he started reading blogs online and he stumbled across high existence. He really liked it. He had a bunch of money and he wanted to do something different other than play poker. So he messaged Jordan Lejeune a few years in. Jordan Lejeune had been blogging a few years in and they became um, co- co-owners of high existence. So that then they both worked together, an ex-professional poker player and Jordan Lejeune, and they created a really unique kind of blog that had like a, like a, a lot of a kind of rational skepticism, um, but also a lot of spirituality, Buddhism and psychedelics and productivity. Uh, like it was like a nice mix of things. And then about five or six years later, uh, Jordan Bates, who's, who's another team member and myself joined. So we've been working on high existence for almost five years. Um, and we kind of represent represented a new chapter of high existence. And since then, you know, we before we, me and Jordan Bates joined, there was no store, there was no courses. Um, we just focused on articles. But now we've created a like a flagship course, which is Thirty Challenges to Enlightenment, uh, which is what I was explaining: gamified spirituality. Gamified spirituality. I like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the making things like that practical. I think is the the current new challenge that needs to be solved. Yeah, you know, so many people get to a philosophical viewpoint, and then they can't explain how they got there. So they're off philosophizing, and mm. you know they're doing the quotable quotes. But everyone's like, "Yeah, but I'm nowhere near that." Like, how how was that? You know, what's that gap between us? Um, and that's why I love high existence as well. I've, I've spent a lot of time flicking through the stuff on there. Um, well, that's, you know, we've got, so we've got uh, Jordan, I think it is, you know, disenchanted with business, wanted to do something um, and bring his like experience with psychedelics into it. You've got this poker player 
who discovered money isn't the answer to everything and pulling people apart to get their money is even worse, you know? Yeah. How about yourself? So what, what's your backstory that ends with joining high existence? So I, I, I've always considered myself to be uh, an artist of some kind, a, a creative person. That's if I'm not being creative, I'm, I'm not happy no matter what I'm doing. So in school, I was always the, the art guy. I was the guy painting and drawing, um, writing stories. And uh, when I was a, uh, from a young age, I always wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, I, I, I always saw movies, films as the kind of highest form of art because they combine so many other elements of individual arts. It's like mixed martial arts, but in art, right? You've got sound, mm-hmm. acting, uh, filmography, pictures, um, script writing. So I, I always loved films and films spoke to me a lot. So I went off to do filmmaking in university, a practical course. And I, I really enjoyed it. But what I found when I was doing my, my filmmaking degree is that I started to started to fall in love with, with, with the script writing aspect of, of storytelling. So I started reading a lot of books on how to tell stories, mythology, and that led me down to the path of psychology. Because so I thought if, I, if I'm going to write about good characters, I need to understand how people think. So I started studying psychology and I just became extremely fascinated and I became almost obsessed with psychology because I realized when I first started film school, I, I went to my first script writing class and I thought I knew everything and I, and I knew nothing. And then I had a friend who was like, hey, you can read this book, this like 400 pages and learn all of the best uh, tips on how to write a script from one of the best script writing teachers in the world, Robert McKee. And I didn't read books at all at that point. And I was 18 years old and I thought, okay, so I can read this book in a week and know more than anyone else in my class about script writing. That sounds like, like it would be worth it. So I did it and uh, I had so many benefits from doing it that I became like a huge reader. And then like within a few months I had like, many, many books on storytelling and psychology. And then I, f- I found NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, I've always been a big fan of Darren Brown. I used to do mag- magic when I was a child. Um, and I like Darren Brown's approach. He's a, he's a British psychological illusionist for those listening. And he's also a skeptic. So he kind of, he, he, he puts on these kind of illusions and psychological magic uh, sort of displays. But is always grounded in um, real psychology. So I started studying his work. And round about this time, when I was really deep into studying psychology, I, I, uh, I, I, was, I went to the dentist and I had a tooth that was slightly like out of place. And they gave me the option that I could either have uh, like, a, like a wire put behind my teeth or I could have... Uh, full braces and then surgery to like realign my bite because my bite was slightly out. So I said, okay, well, whatever. I'll just have full braces and the surgery you're talking about. They said, okay, fine. It'll take two years. So I was, I think it was about 19 at the time. Yeah, about 19. So that two year braces and surgery turned into five years. So from the age of 19, like all the way through to 23, 24, I was waiting and waiting and waiting for these braces to be removed 
and for me to have this surgery. And it, it, it was actually a very difficult period of my life because, you know, I was in my early 20s. I wanted to go out and drink and have fun. But here I was with braces and the braces made the, my bite worse. So even though nobody kind of like said anything, I always felt very insecure about the alignment of my teeth and the fact that I had braces in my twenties. And, um, I became, I became quite self loathing, um, uh, quite, I I was just insecure and and had social anxiety and, um, I, I just didn't have many friends. I became quite reclusive. And um, I just spent all of my time, even more than studying, studying and studying and studying and uh, going to the gym and just studying and and working on myself. Um, And I was living with my parents. I had not much money. I'd applied for a few jobs, but I I didn't have much money. Living with my parents, no girlfriend. Um, I just, you know, people around me were like, you know, you have so much potential. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And there I was just like reading and studying. And I think uh, some of my family were like, you know, what is he doing? You know, where does he think reading these books are going to get him? You know, like it's all good and well. You're into self-improvement, but your life is, you know, not very impressive in the least. So the time eventually came when I had my, my, my jaw surgery and five years, five years later. And I was terrified. I was terrified of, of jaw surgery. And one of the things that I, that I did to help me cope with the jaw surgery was, was um, start meditating. So that was how I started meditating to get over the anxiety of this jaw surgery where they break both my jaws um, and then realign them. So it was, it, was, it was quite intense, quite intense surgery. And I was going to wake up with a slightly different face permanently. So it was pretty scary. So I started studying Eckhart Tolle and meditation. And then I found stoicism, books like Man's Search for Meaning. I was actually reading Man's Search for Meaning in the hospital, awaiting the surgery the next day. So this is when I started to get more into Eastern philosophy and, and stoicism around this, around this time. And one of the things I did to help me stay motivated and keep my mood up um, because even after the surgery, you, you weren't able to eat solid foods for a month. You were going to be very weak. Um, you were going to be swollen. It was, it was going to be quite an ordeal. One of the things I did is I used my filmmaking skills that I developed in university, and I made a short motivational film, like a three or four minute motivational film, where I cut together different scenes from different documentaries and added a, a speaker. And I, and I just released it on YouTube. And the, the motivational film, um, it got, it got 10,000 views in, in 20, 24 hours. So it started to climb. And then 20,000 views, 30,000 views, 40,000 views. And the likes started going up. And I was like, huh, like people like this motivational film that I released. This is, this is cool. And all my friends and family saw it. were like, oh my God, I can't believe how popular this thing is getting. Why don't you create a blog where you release these films? And I didn't know anything about blogging or anything like that. I was like, I know about filmmaking and editing, but I don't know about blog, the world of blogging. So I had my jaw surgery. And a few days after my jaw surgery, I was feeling very weak, um, very physically depleted, but also excited because I felt like this was the start of something new. Um, and, I, and I felt this, this urge in me for some reason 
to to create a blog but it wasn't going to be a blog that had anything to do with films it was going to be a blog where i was going to write articles i don't know why i i had this it just came a few days after my surgery and i remember i was reading a bay grills book and he had a chapter in the book called get out of your comfort pit because he said comfort zones are much too comfortable sounding he prefers to use the word comfort pit because pits are places you want to get out of really quickly mm. So I was like, okay, comfort pit. I like that. I'm going to go find if that's available. I, I searched for it. It was available, comfortpit.com. I created that and I, and I was like, okay, I need to learn how to blog. What can I do? Let's find a, uh, a blogging book. So I just went on Amazon, found a blogging book, cracked it open. Okay, this is how you set up a domain name. This is how you get hosting. This is how you set up WordPress. So I read it, set it up, created a blog, comfortpit.com in a few days. And then I was like, okay, what am I going to write about? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I keep putting off what I'm going to write about. Okay. Why don't I write about procrastination? Cause I'm procrastinating. You know, that would be the perfect first article. So I wrote a, an article on procrastination and I, and I featured some of the, the work of a guy called Stephen Pressfield. Uh, he wrote a book called the war of art for those listening. Mm-hmm. Very, very good book. So I wrote this article and I released it and nothing Nothing at all, you know, like no views. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything about marketing, no views. I was like, huh. Well, I enjoyed writing it and I'm proud of what I wrote, but no views. Okay. I wonder how I can get views. So I was like, well, why don't I message Stephen Pressfield? You know, I mean, I featured some of his, some of his writing. So I found Stephen Pressfield's website and I sent him a message and I said, hey, I, I wrote an article on procrastination featuring some of your words. I thought you might want to check it out. And I just didn't hear anything. And then a few days later, I, I, I looked at my, my dashboard for the stats, for the views of my blog, and it, usually like one or two views a day. And suddenly in the last hour, there was 200. And I was like, oh, wow, this is crazy. So I checked my, um, my inbox and Stephen Pressfield had replied. He was like, I really liked your article. I've shared it on my, on my Facebook page. So that was motivating, you know, for my first article, got shared. And I, I just kept writing from there, there on. I just kept writing. And then I think around my 20th article that I wrote was on meditation. And I put it on Reddit and it, and it had something like 600 upvotes. People really liked it. And I spent a lot of time on my articles. My approach when writing was always write the best article you can write on this topic so that you never have to write another article on this topic ever again. Mm. I I thought I'm going to write an article why meditation is good so that I never have to do another article on that again. That will be my article that you can read if you're interested in that. So I put a lot of time into it, added footnotes, added citations, added cool images. And then I released it on Reddit. And a few days later, I get a message from a guy called Martijn from Amsterdam. And he says, hey, I really liked your article. Can we publish it on our blog, highexistence.com? And I was like, um, uh, yeah, like, who is this guy? You know, like, who, who, this guy called Martijn from Amsterdam. He sounds really nice, but like almost too nice. You know, do people like this even exist? And so, but they do, they do. And, and we started to kind of to talk and become friends. A few months later, he said, look, we've got a, a position that's opened up at High Existence. It's the position of an editor. We want someone to come and be an editor for the, for the blog. Um, the pay isn't, isn't that high, but it's a really good opportunity for you. 
So I was still just living with my parents, didn't have much, much, much opportunities or money. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Um, so I, I worked really hard for six months on high existence. And then um, he, he, Jordan Lejuan and Martin made me, uh, give me a piece of the company and made me a co-owner of high existence then along with Jordan Bates which is very rare. It's a very rare thing to do, like as someone who's just joined a company. But that is the type of people that, that Martin and, and Jordan are. You know, they, they wanted to reward me and Jordan Bates for our work and show like the, that we are a team. So um, yeah, about a year after that, I found myself in Amsterdam, living in Amsterdam for about six months, uh, hanging out with Martin and, uh, and working on, on high existence in real life. So that was the, that's the journey so far. God, that's such a cool story, dude. That is, um, what I love about that is, is the step-by-step of it where, or two aspects to it. One is you just, you go for one thing that you like and that puts you onto another thing that you like. So you ditch the first thing, you go to the second thing and that puts you on the third thing. So you ditch the second thing, you know, that kind of step-by-step process. I get so many fucking people asking like, you know, what's my purpose or whatever. I'm like, forget it. Just do what you like and then follow your nose. You know, you'll find it. It'll find you, whatever. And you are just the perfect example of what I'm trying to tell them. It's like, I think I want to do filmmaking. So I go to filmmaking. I've got to read this book. And now I like reading. So I'll go reading. And you just follow your nose. And and I'm sure that's just natural and normal for you. But for some people, they're just stuck at step one, which they didn't even want to do in the first place. So they didn't even like follow a single piece of desire, not even like a little hint at something. And they're wondering why they can't figure out what to do with their lives, you know? And the other thing I love about it, you know, your door surgery story, there are some people when two years became five, that would have been like a game over moment for them. (laughs) Like how unfair is life? You know, poor me. Um, and I'm not saying you didn't suffer because it sounds like you did. And I definitely want to hear a bit more about your social world and your social backstory. Cause you and I have some shared sort of grievances in our past, I guess. Mm. Um, but you, it's that just that very, very classic, almost cliched turning crisis to opportunity thing. Mm. A lot of people see that kind of stuff quoted around and little memes and that but you just gave an example of what they, that actually means. You know, you're banged up in a hospital, you're all fucked up or you're, you've got a long recovery ahead of you. There's no way around this. Everything's going to suck for a while. And so you're like, okay, I'll make some videos and I'll write some stuff. Like I've still got hands and eyes. Like you went straight to what's still available and what can be done. Whereas so many people would have been lying in that hospital bed, scrolling on Facebook and, and, you know, dark about, not being able to eat solids, you know, mm. your, your focus is incredible. Your perspective for like, it's like an hour, how an explosion goes down the path of least resistance sort of thing. You're like, well, what can I do? It seems like that's been a theme for you. Like, what can I do? Or what do I want to do that I can do? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. And I don't know if you're lucky, like if you're just kind of like born with it or is that something you had to develop or what? I, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure. As I said, like I've always been artistic and, and kind of always like enjoyed viewing the world from different perspectives than the norm, you know, questioning things. But I, I think that if I was, now that I'm a bit older and I, and I, and I tend to like, I, I tend to 
um, think like, what do I have that's, that's like my gift, you know? Um, that, what kind of personality trait do I have that helps me in life that maybe other people don't have mine, but they have their own. And I think mine, my, one of my gifts is that doing things that I know other people won't do in the same situation as me kind of excites me, you know, that, that kind of like motivates me. Cause it's like, you know, it's kind of like that. Who would do this now? No one, you know, but I will, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take action on this. Um, and you, you hear all the time, you know, like when, you know, when people get like, um, you know, someone recommends a book to you, hey, you should definitely read this book. And you, you get the same book recommendation like four times and you go, yeah, yeah, read it. And you don't, you know, it's like, read it, you know, just do it, get it now, read it, start reading it. Um, that kind of attitude of, of like doing the things that you know, that, that are difficult, um, that require a lot of patience, that require a lot of boredom. Um, that all those kind of like, like unfun emotions, I have this like meta level enjoyment of doing those things. Um, so yeah, I don't know why, why that is necessarily. I think that I'm, I'm gifted with a lot of patience. That's, that's one of them. Um, but maybe I don't know, maybe I cultivated patience because of waiting so many years for my jaw surgery, you know, just like hmm. cultivating, cultivating patience. And the other thing as well that, uh, that I think I've, that has been lucky for me is I've always, you see some people, they read a lot of books and they have this notebook knowledge where they can like quote, quote all these people to you. But then it's like, what do you think? You know, what are your ideas? And, and I, and, and they don't have anything to show. And I've always, I've always thought of it like this, like every human being is unique in every way. Everyone is super unique life experiences, biology, so you and I could read the same book, exactly the same book. We could read the same 50 books at the same time, but we're not reading the same books hmm. at all. We're not reading the same book, not in the least, uh, because the filter is completely different. Um, so I've always like thought of study and like my life like that. Like, like I can, whatever I do is unique to me and that's exciting. Um, so I've always just tried to filter my life experience and kind of go, well, nobody else is having this experience that I'm having because nobody else is me. What can I make from, from this based on my own unique craziness? I think you and I have so much in common. Uh, <laughs> and it's funny because I get to see a different version of it. It's the same principles, but a completely different life, you know, born to a different uh, culture, born into different genetics. And it just, it's sort of like the chaos effect, you know, it just maps out completely differently mm. on the same principle. But, you know, my, my book, Nothing to Lose, is all about the value of curiosity and what you're describing is what I was trying to say, which is, yeah, <laughs> your example is so good. I'm the person, if someone says, read this book, within three days I've read it. Mm. Because everyone else is like, yeah, I'll read it, and they never do. And because they just, like, that's the common response. Or... Like you, there's that rebellion streak. Like if I know other people stay away from something, that alone compels me to do it. You know, um, and I, I just feel very validated in a sense listening to you. I'm like, see, it can work with other people too. You know, they just <laughs> in their own way. 
we just uh i i, I consider it luck i don't know i've been curious since i was born mm. in that in that way that you describe and i absolutely put that down to genetics but your wait for your surgery was my four years of no sex now yours was almost certainly more physically painful i imagine would be um but the enforced patience where you learned to, you know, for me it was, okay, I just can't have this thing no matter how hard I try. What can I do? And that's really, I think, what patience is. Patience isn't like a lot of people think of sitting still in a queue mm. as patience. But I think patience is more like knowing when to let go of something you can't control. And, and wait for it to do its thing while you do something else rather than trying to force feed uh, reality, you know, your version of what should be happening. So very incredible to hear you talk, man. I can, I'm just, in this talk, I'm getting a much clearer picture as to why I click with you so easily, you mm. know. Though we've talked before and, and I thought it was more of a sort of a shared, similar external history, especially with, with women and that whole thing. But actually, I realize it's much more about a shared philosophical perspective. You know, I was also, like once I discovered psychology, absolutely obsessed and mm. digested as many pieces of information as possible. But also like you, I was more like, how do I use this rather than, I can't remember the citation, but I took the gist of it and applied it to my life. I'm more that type than the guy who can say, 1984, you know, Simon's et al., uh, quoted the ball. I can't do that, you know. Um, yeah, I've been hanging out to to talk about your social history, you know. Yeah, because that's just such a shared thing for us. So, DUI, you've got this underbite, overbite thing, whatever it is, and the insecurities coming in socially. You know, take us from there in terms of your social world and what it was like to be you socially. So um, I'll, go, I'll go back a little bit just to give you some sort of context. Yeah. Context. So um, I like I have great great family, great parents. Never really wanted anything, you know. I can't say that I've had a super traumatic childhood or anything like that. You know, it's been really nice. Um, was never really like the, the most popular person, but never really the the, the least popular person. Um, you know, um, I've had periods of, of you know, maybe feeling like a bit of a loner just because of my personality type. You know, I'm quite introverted and I like to do my own like thing. Um, but in high school, I, I, I remember I, I was definitely quite shy around women. So, I, so if you go back to when I was about like really young, like uh, I was very kind of like happy, jokey. And then when I went to high school, the big school, I was a bit more like, oh, you know, look at all these alpha males like other, from other schools, like the rugby players and the, the girls are so much more bitchy. And then I kind of re retreated more into myself. Hmm. Then when I was about 15, I started boxing. I started doing boxing and that I gained confidence, lost weight. And then I had my first girlfriend when I was 16. Um, that lasted for two years. Um, I worked in a, in a, in a, in a clothing store with like 50 other women and two guys so I had a lot of experience talking to to women and 
um, and we're very good friends and I have a sister and um, I'm very close to my mother. And then I, when I went to university, I got into another relationship for two years. So um, that was all fine, you know, kind of like a normal, healthy, you know, um, kind of relationship life for my age. But when I had my braces, I, I, a few months after my braces, I broke up with my, my, my girlfriend from university. And that was, that was, that was a difficult, difficult period because other stuff was going on around the breakup, you know, like the braces were maybe getting me down. Um, uh, university became difficult. I, I wasn't getting along so much with some of the bigger personalities in the, in the groups that we had to work with. Um, and it's actually very difficult being a creative person who has to work in a, in a, in a team with people with egos because you want to get across this idea and someone can just shut you down with dominance and you have to kind of figure out how can I get this idea into, into reality when there's someone with a, a worse idea who's just more dominant than I am or more, more outspoken. There's a quote by Oscar Wilde that I love and he says something like, um, I, I can stand brute force, but I can't stand brute reason mm. that is hitting below the intellect. And, and you, you know, and you, you do, you do meet people sometimes they, they use brute reason with you, you know, it's like a shutting down. It's not actual reason. It's like, no, it's like, it's a closing down. You know, you must be quiet. My idea is better than yours. So I broke up with this, with my girlfriend in uni, and then I had my braces. And similar to you, I went years, maybe it could be four years of, of just no female, uh, no female like intimacy or love. Um, and it was painful, you know, it was, you, 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 you know, you, you hear other guys talking about sex and relationships and, and then they might ask you, you know, like, who are you seeing? And you're like, you're like, oh, like, I can't possibly speak the truth of my situation. I feel so embarrassed. I'm in my early twenties. Oh my God. Um, so out of this frustration, out of this kind of like insecure needing control state of mind, I found, um, I found a book called the game, you know, it's a, it's a pickup artist book by Neil Strauss. And I, and I read the book and I thought it was an amazing book. And I was, I told my friend, you know, Hey, like there's this book, the game, you know, you, you can go out and you can, you can get better at socializing. Like it's actually this thing. You can go out and talk to like loads of people and improve it, You know, you don't have to be like stuck. And, and I've always been lucky to have the friends that I have had. have always been great friends. So most people, when they, when they hear, you know, read the book, the game, as we were saying, they're like, I'm good, dude. I've got enough, you know, I can get girls. You know, I can get girls. I don't have that problem. But my friend was like, okay, sounds good. Let's go out. Let's do it. So we started going to bars and clubs uh, when, when I had braces, you know, very difficult. You know, I was like, in my mind, I was like, you know, it's just an insecurity. You've got to get past it. You've got to get past it. But I couldn't get past it. I was so scared. I was so anxious. I was terrified. And then eventually I, I might pluck up the courage to go and, and talk to someone, talk to a stranger. And I'd be like shaking, I'd be nervous. And, and um, a lot of the time we just went out and we just talked to each other, me and my friend, and we didn't really socialize with other people. We had some good fun, you know, we tried to always like be in a good mood and have some good, good laughs and things. But it, in a way, this kind of confrontation 
with my inability to push out of my comfort zone made me feel worse, you know? Mm. And that's what one of the issues with, with this kind of like the picking up kind of industry is that it's, it's like, you, it's, it's really difficult, you know? It's, it's really difficult um, and depends where you're at, but it's very difficult to go out and if you're socially anxious and just go and talk to, to strangers. And, and if, you, if you don't have really good coaching um, or like someone to like help you all the way through, you can just spin the wheels and just and just feel even worse because you're not doing anything. You know, it's um, um, and we can talk about the value of coaching in general in, in this sense as well. But just going out into the world on your own and just talking to strangers is very difficult to to improve your social skills if you have social anxiety. But anyway, we kept going out. We kept going out, and I remember even going out in London once, and um, I started speaking to a girl, and it was going well, and she was laughing. And then I smiled and she looked at my, my braces and she kind of, she kind of like pointed like this uh, at my braces. And I just crumbled like my whole like self image, my self esteem was just like, ugh, ugh. you know, my confidence, the kind of big, you know, a cool guy persona that I was putting on, you know, at the time just kind of broke instantly because it, there was no real solid confidence. Of the mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm done for tonight. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. And, um, I just didn't want to go out anymore. You know, I just felt like I, I couldn't, it was just too painful, but I learned a lot though. I learned a lot about my own mind. I learned how my own mind made excuses. I learned how my own mind dealt with anxiety and fear. And, um, I learned a lot in this period about myself. Um, it was a lot of like, know thyself kind of practice because, you know, when you go out, you go out into like bars and clubs, you, uh, difficult situations and you have social anxiety you it's confronting it's confronting and, and you get to see how your own the workings of your own mind uh, go through and then you go you wake up the next day fresh in bed and you think back to the night before and you think why was i acting like that why was i afraid you know there's nothing to be afraid of but every time you go there the, the, the fear kicks in again so I stopped going out and I, I went even deeper into my studies and work and, and writing. And um, I, I was actually happy doing that. You know, I, I don't think that you, you need like a lot of the things you think you need, you don't, you know, if you can, if you can find something you love, like a passion and uh, you spend a lot of time uh, working on it, I don't think that you, you necessarily need and not everyone, at least some people do, but you don't always need sex or, or, or a girlfriend. Uh, it depends on where you are in life and, and what your values are at that particular time. So I put all of my focus in, in, in work. And then um, I continued to work with high existence. This was like, I was working with high existence now for about eight months. And I thought to myself, you know, I have this great opportunity now to travel. You know, I still have social anxiety. I still don't have any, any, uh, I still don't have a girlfriend. I don't have, um, I wasn't pining for a girlfriend or anything, but I, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have that many friends. I'm working and going to the gym and reading and I'm hanging out with the few friends I have. Why don't I go travel alone? You know, why don't I really get out my comfort zone? So I, I uh, decided that I was going to go to Thailand on my own for six weeks. So that was really when the, the real growth started to happen is when I, I went to Thailand on my own and I was 
totally not prepared for the experience, you know, getting there on my own. I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. This is scary. This is hot. I don't know where to go. And, uh, and I, and what happened when I got to Thailand was I, I started to feel lonely actually for the first time in a while after three days there, because I, I didn't, didn't know anyone there. And I was literally thousands of miles from all of my family and friends. And I didn't have any data on my phone. So I couldn't, constantly text and call my family so i thought why don't i why don't i check tinder out why don't i go on tinder never used it before why don't i just go on tinder see if i can kind of get out there meet someone so i went on to tinder swiping 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 lots of uh lady boys on there and um and like there was just nothing really that kind of connected with me and then eventually after looking through like a bunch of profiles i found there was a there was a girl who, who did graphic design and, and seemed very interesting. So I thought, Oh, I don't know. Like I'll send a message. And I sent the message and, and uh, I said, you know, should we meet up and, and go for a drink? There's a bar around the corner, this rooftop bar that looks cool. And uh, she was like, she said, yeah. And when she said, yeah, you'd think that I would be happy, but I wasn't happy. I was scared. I was like, I kind of hoped that she would say no. Like, there was a part of me that didn't want this to happen. You know? and that's the, the other interesting thing about the mind is that you have these success barriers. It's like um, you don't, a lot of people don't actually want success. They don't actually want to, to live an epic life because it's, it's hard. It requires you to get out there and, and face your fears. So she, she said, yeah, okay, let's meet at eight. And I was like, uh, oh my God, okay, this is actually happening. And I started to get nervous and I was just hoping she'd cancel. And I was like, I hope, I, I hope she just says to me like, oh, she can't tonight, next week or something. Mm. But she, she didn't cancel. So it was like five minutes before the, the time of the date. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I thought to myself, I was crazy nervous at the time. Like, uh, it's kind of funny to think how nervous I was like now when I look back. But it was very nervous. Like I'm, it was my first ever date with someone I'd never even met, and it was in Thailand with a Thai uh, girl who seemed very interesting. Um, so I thought to myself, "How am I going to do this? How am I going to face my fears and and go to this date location?" And I and I said to myself, "Whatever happens, it will make an interesting story." Whatever happens, it will make an interesting story. Whatever happens, I can tell my friends it's a funny story. Like whatever happens, it, even at the worst case scenario, like a stoic perspective, even if everything goes wrong, that will make a really funny story of everything going wrong. So I went, I went to have this date, uh, I met up with her and, uh, and we just talked for like two, three hours and it was just great. We had a great conversation and, uh, I was like, thought she was really cool. And for about three weeks after that, we, she, she took me around on a scooter to different locations in Thailand. And there I was three weeks later in Thailand, going to different markets and, and different restaurants with an amazing, interesting um, girl. And like three, four weeks earlier, I was lonely, um, like living a, like my, my, my work life was really good, but my kind of life situation was kind of like, um, you could look in and go, Oh, he's kind of a loser. You know, like you could make that impression, even though I didn't feel that way inside. And, um, and yeah, and that just came from, um, really, I, I had to really just go into these areas that, that were scary for me and I had to get out of my comfort zone. So that's, 
that might be quite a long answer, but that's kind of my <laughs> social history there. And that's where I, when I started then to gain more confidence from that point on. Again, a ton of similarities, you know. Uh, my first big move was to do Camp America, just go to the United States as a camp counselor. And wasn't on my own exactly, but sort of was. Like a friend ended up doing the same camp as me. But, um, yeah, it was, it was the beginning of something. I got my first girlfriend there since my whatever, my last however many years ago and so on. So, mm, interesting that we have that shared history. But, yeah, isn't it? It's incredible how, like, one little thing, like, it's interesting you say about teeth because I just forgot, actually, in high school, I used to have warts all over my hands. I was one of those unlucky kids that just got this big blowout, you know. I looked like a fucking orc. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and they, they lasted a few years. It wasn't long, but it was enough, and it was at just the worst time from, like, 13 to 16, just the worst time to have, like, untouchable hands, you know. And um, and I remember, I, I just distinctly remember, I used to sit in this way where I'd crumple my hands into these weird shapes that covered each water. You know, so like if you look at my hand, it looked like I had some sort of palsy, but I was actually just like covering every single thing. And I, I think back to that, I'm like, Jesus, no wonder I was struggling. You know, like I couldn't even show my hands to people, like the mentality behind that. Yeah. You know? And like you, I just have one person go, oh, a little comment, just noticing, and I just fall to pieces. You know, the, the house of cards comes down. Yeah. Um, so I definitely relate to that experience. And what I love is, again, what we talked about, that like relentless curiosity where you just can't sit still in that comfort pit, as you call it, for very long. You just can't. Yeah. And it takes you to Thailand. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. And you just let, you know, I'm, I'm not a super spiritual guy, but sometimes you just do your bit and then like let the universe do its bit and you kind of work with it. You know, you could have backed out of that date. That was, you did everything you could by showing up. And it's amazing how that one experience, you know, like one person can totally rescue, you know, the situation. I've had yeah. that myself, you know, I made one friend somewhere, had that recently with Krav Maga, for example. Go there, nobody speaks English. Totally intimidating situation. And then one guy who speaks English kind of likes me. I'm just like, oh, I like this class now. It just totally turns the whole thing around. Um, but you had to get there to have that experience. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's, um, I hope when people listen, they're hearing the theme uh, even more than they're hearing the details. You know, that kind of, <laughs> I sometimes think about it, you know, when you've got a fly in your house and it's trying to get out the window, mm-hmm. you've got some massive glass pane and a little sliver of window, it's just banging against the glass until it gets the gap, you know? It can be really frustrating to watch, <laughs> you know, but you and me, that's what we do. You know, we hit yeah. the glass and just bang away, trying every different spot until something goes through. Cause just sitting still on the, you know, on the glass and waiting to die. It isn't really an option. Um, and what, yeah, it's, I did some research when I first started coaching. Uh, it was just on the concept of success. I wanted to know, like those people are at the very top of their game. I've always wanted to know what's the real story behind the scenes, these so-called overnight successes. And when I was doing that, I came across Psy, you know, Gangnam style. 
Yeah. That guy. And, you know, this guy just took over the, the entire internet and owned YouTube just out of nowhere. He, it, the song didn't even have English. I was just like, this Korean dude just came out of nowhere. And I went on Wikipedia and I found out that before Gangnam Style, it was like 14 failed albums, one of which was so controversial in Korea, he went to prison for it. Wow. I'm like, that's the truth. That's what nobody knows. He didn't just suddenly appear on YouTube. He was banging away at that window, just trying to do what he loved, paying a high price and obviously experiencing all sorts of horrifically painful emotional moments. Um, and that's what I think of when I think of you, you know, like as a fellow blogger, I look at high existence. I'm like, fuck, that's something to aim for. Like they know what they're doing. Mm. And I love hearing that backstory. Like, well, actually first I tried to be a script writer and then, I had this problem with my jaws. I had to read along. And that's what leads up to high existence. You know, yeah. it's not just some blog that pops up out of nowhere. It's a team of guys who are working on themselves for a whole lifetime before that. Um, yeah. That's what's so cool. And that's why, you know, you read high existence compared to say, say the kind of blogs where you read them, you know, someone's written them to try and create a successful blog. They haven't written them to get a message out. They haven't written them to try and improve the world or to express themselves they're solely going straight to some sort of outcome. They see blog as a vehicle. You read those ones and it's shallow and empty and meaningless. And it's all just sort of not even just clickbait, but just it's just engineered writing and and videos trying to get, you know, as many stats as possible. When I read your stuff and um, check out high existence, I see what I see is the work of people who would do it. If even if no one was watching, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I, Martin, who I've mentioned, the the ex poker player, um, he he was a great mentor for me. And this is the type of of um, sort of uh, senior figure that that he was in in the in the company. I remember I, I was we use a Slack, you know, it's like a mm-hmm. messaging system for communications. And I was telling him, you know, um, oh, I, I haven't been meditating much lately because, you know, when I wake up in the morning, there's so much, many things to do with, with high existence, with work that I, that I just want to get straight to it. And he said to me, he said to me, don't worry about that. Always meditate first, no matter what needs to be done. It can, it can wait. And that's that, that little like story kind of exemplifies the attitude that we have. We are, we are all like kind of walking we, we try our best to walk the talk and and we, we're not like sitting in some ivory tower like oh this is a cool spiritual thing that i read and i'll never apply go check it out and that's why the retreats have been really fun because people get a chance to come and hang out with the high existence team and and you see that we are just like you we're just people who love bettering ourselves questioning things being curious um and yeah, you can just hang out with us and we can just sort of learn from each other. Um, and we're just real people that, that are on this journey. Well, I think that comes through the work, definitely. You know, I, I read a lot of this kind of stuff and I can go one paragraph and I know the difference. <laughs> and so as soon as I read it, I'm like, okay, this is just like SEO just crushing my brain. And other times I read something I'm like, okay, this is a dude speaking from his real life does something he's passionate about. He wants people to be supported. Um, it's not that you don't have business savvy. Of course you do, but it's, you know, the work first, as you say, like 
I love the idea of meditation first. I mean, if you're writing a blog about meditation, you skip meditation to write it. Mm. What are you doing? <laughs> you missed the point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love that, man. And uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. We can always uh, talk more. I think you and I will have many conversations. Endless conversations we can have. Live long enough, yeah. And, um, but I, I, I love just there's just a solid theme coming through. Uh, which is you're curious, you're persistent, you chose things that you are scared of rather than dwelling in that comfort pit. Um, and not in some cliched way, you were really put to the test. You had plenty of opportunities to opt out. Mm. And I'm sure if we were scanned in on details, there would have been tough days and weeks and maybe even months where you did, as we all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just didn't stay there. That's the key. You just went on to the next thing. You never clung to any one thing too tightly. No. No, you just found if you found something better, then you just quickly went for the better thing. You didn't have Always. to. Always. Yeah. yeah. Always. It's, it's, like I said, it's natural for you. There are a lot of people it's not. You know, it's really the opposite. That is unnatural for them. They commit to something and they can't let it go, even though it's always stuck. You know? One final thing that I, I just want to mention for people listening, which I, I found really useful, is one of the kind of personality uh, kind of traits that I that I find that I have, and I find that a lot of really uh, wise, successful people also have it. Is whenever I, I I'm very passionate, so whenever I get into something, say I get into a particular thinker or author or, or philosophy or or you know whatever, and and I and I love it. I soak everything up. I learn as much as I can from it. But then it doesn't take me long before I ask myself the question, what are the flaws in this mm. way of life, in this person? Not in like a really critical way, like not in a like, you know, like insulting way, but like take someone like Tony Robbins. Like I've read Tony Robbins' work. I've listened to Personal Power. I've, I've soaked all that in and loved it. And then I ask myself, well, what is Tony missing? You know, what are the pieces that he's missing in? Um, and, and, uh, and then like, huh, maybe I can go a step further than Tony and, and find those areas that he's missing. And then I ask, what is this person missing? So I'm always looking at gaps in my own understanding and other people's understanding. And uh, that, that, that quote, like, kill the Buddha when you see him. Like, whoever you idolize, learn as much as you can, but don't be afraid to let it go for something else. Another thing we've got in common, you know, I do an intense period of worship and then I, my skepticism comes back. Um, but I don't, I don't abandon the person either. I keep what they gave me and then see the fallacies that everybody has in them and look for somebody whose strength is that weakness, you know. It's yeah. exactly what I do. And um, I mean, it's the same. We both read the game. We go, this is amazing. And then the flaws become apparent. So we go, well, what else is there? Honesty yeah. gets discovered and so on. And then there's some things you, you, you find which tested to death always come through like values you know yeah curiosity curiosity has never let me down it's not a person i worship it's not a strategy uh, it's not a school of thought it's just a way of living um mm. that can be applied to anything and same with honesty uh honesty hasn't let me down it's made me pay the price for dishonesty <laughs> but it was dishonesty that let me down it's just potential energy stored uh, that honesty release. So I might say, I just thinking recently, 
I went through my Jordan Peterson phase, you know. Yeah. And then the more I explored, like especially when I saw him debate against Sam Harris, I was like, okay, he's not perfect, actually. But there's some stuff he does really fucking well or like just kind of, uh, kind of validate some theories I had. And there's other stuff I'm just going to let him play with that on his own because that ain't right. Yeah. Replies, you know. Excellent, man. Um, to finish up, where somebody's more interested, I mean, obviously highexistence.com, but specifically where do you want people to go next? Mm, yeah, I would just say like check out highexistence.com. Um, just you, you can just search for a particular topic that you find interesting. But also I would, I would actually direct people from here to the podcast that you and I recorded. So that's the High Existence podcast. And me and Dan recorded a podcast on honesty where I interviewed you. And I think that that is the perfect place for your your listeners to go to for more information. Um, it's like almost, yeah, it's about an hour and a half long. Um, mm-hmm. It's two hours. Really good stuff. Yeah, that was a good chat. I enjoyed that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I look forward to having another one. Well, thank you so much, dude, for, for joining me. And uh, I know it was probably relatively easy for you, but opening up and sharing and, you know, revealing both the light and the dark, uh, people can't understand what they really, the work they really have to put in. Yeah. Until they see someone like yourself, you know, a happy father, accomplished blog, taking good care of yourself, high confidence. You earn that one piece of effort at a time over an extended period of time. Mm. That wasn't uh, handed to you in any way. In fact, there was the opposite handed to you on numerous occasions. And I want people to hear that so when they're going, my life sucks, you can go, yeah, maybe it does, but this is the start of the story, not the end. Mm. And I, I would absolutely 100% without reservation recommend somebody just follow your way of doing things, at mm. least to get them going. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Alrighty, dude. Let's yeah. wrap it up there. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, I think you're doing amazing work. I always love talking to you and looking forward to the next time we can do it. So cheers. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Make sure to check out highexistence.com to listen to John's podcast and to check out his awesome articles and send your comments through and share this around if you liked it. Help support the cause and I'll see you all next time. Thank you.